0: Welcome to Soul Practice, a podcast featuring raw conversations about our crazy world and real practices that keep us grounded deep in our souls. Soul Practice, Raw Conversations, well, Real Practices is hosted Practice. by Kathy Escobar and Phyllis
1: and Mathis. Practices. I'm Kathy Escobar.
0: And I'm Phyllis Mathis.
1: And we are continuing to have fun in the second season with Playing With Our Friends. And so it's our most favorite thing, actually. <laughs> and you, know, you yeah. always need to know that we don't plan. We don't say, here's the five questions we're going to ask you. We just want people to hear our amazing, wise friends' voices and to have a conversation together. And so today, Phyllis and I are in Denver area, and our awesome friend, Angie Fadel, is with us from uh, Portland. And this is the good part about technology. And I feel so freaking grateful to know Angie for 16 years. And we met right at the beginning of the refuge. And this is the weird part about life. That's a long ass time ago. And here we are 16 years later, stumbling, bumbling, walking, crawling, (laughs) doing the best we can to keep healing and finding new life. And um, we have kind of been through it all for 16 years. And Angie is a spiritual director um, and holds space for people in all kinds of um, wild and hard and beautiful places. And her specialty is a beautiful thing that she created um, with using uh, archery. And so she's a meditative archer. And she's gonna tell us more about this because there aren't any other ones. And so it's a beautiful thing that she has brought to our community for many years and that she brings regularly in the Portland area and then travels around to different communities to help them heal and be empowered and find strength. And one of her biggest passions really is the LGBT community, the BIPOC community, people who don't get to do these things in um, the easiest way and to make these things accessible for all people. And so um, we're just happy to have you here, Angie with us and um, for people to get a chance to hang out. I was just in Portland, so we got to play and that was just exactly what my soul needed. We just hosted a fun thing outside. When I say fun, grief has no rules is not the funnest thing. Um, but when we do things together in partnership outside that are soulful healing spaces, it is fun and it's super, super healing.
0: Yeah, I um, yeah, I was going to say, you have a funny way of having fun, Kathy, but I know you have plenty of frivolous, not frivolous, but just plain old fun. Um, and um, I think, Andy, we met maybe before, uh, I attended a workshop that you facilitated. yeah, I'm but i I will say that that day that um, you facilitated an archery piece for us, a group of us um, really kind of changed my life and um, it's very impactful, very powerful. and um, I will always be grateful to you for that and for for just the wisdom and the power of archery and used in a in a kind of contemplative way. It just is amazing um, what happened that day and what you continue to do. So that's what we really wanna hear from you is um, who are you in the world and how do you do the work and how did you get there? And how would you describe it to people who don't know you?
2: Um, well, thank you. Uh, I'm hearing my cat talking to the birds, so (laughs) trying not to get distracted because it's super cute. Um, Who am I in the world? Uh, I am a fighter, a survivor, and um, someone that keeps getting up over and over and over again, and I will refuse to stop getting up. I might stay down for a little bit. a little bit longer than even I want to stay down. But there's something built into me that refuses to give up. And that is the same thing that attracts me to other people that have come from a similar, not maybe the same situation as I had growing up, but a similar wanting to get up again even if you do not have the ability to get up again. I wanna see that in you. As far as like, you may not see it in yourself, but I'm gonna stand with you until you can get up again. Because uh-huh. I needed that. And so for me, probably about 16 years ago, I somebody came to our community. At the time I was pastoring a church called The Bridge that is no longer I was going to say in service, but I guess I guess in service. It's no longer around. Um, and she, it was somebody that knew this really spectacular journey, journaling technique based in Carl Jung's shadow work. She looked at our community and she was like, whoa, you guys need some help. And so <laughs> this is like, as far as I understand, it's, it's a long weekend, um, very expensive, something I couldn't have even dreamed of being able to do. She taught us how to do it. It was life-changing for me. Um, it's uh, it's it's by Ira Prokof, and it's called the Intensive Journaling Workshop. So out of that, I've been doing spiritual direction with people in deconstruction of some kind for about 13 years, along with having the journaling. 12 years ago on Mother's Day, which was yesterday, which I was up the archery range. And I don't think I had been up at the archery range on a Mother's Day since my first archery lesson 12 years ago. Um, But I had been talking about archery my whole life, never had exposure to it, didn't know how, how does a poor person do archery how does a poor person do archery and also not have to be a negative experience? Cause it was so sacred to me, this idea of archery that I didn't want it to be a bad experience or how do you do it? If you don't have equipment, I couldn't go out and what I thought was like $500. It doesn't cost that much. Uh, you know, go buy equipment for something that I didn't even know. Like how do you jump the, over those hurdles? If you don't even know where the hurdles are, what the hurdles are, and uh, we had a friend that's a world champion archer who I had asked, but it went right over his head. And mm-hmm. my husband then was like, Angie talks about archery all the time, cartoons, movies, it didn't matter. I wanted to do it. So he arranged on Mother's Day, over twelve, it's probably 13 years ago now, to give me an archery lesson. I didn't know I was having an archery lesson. I thought I was uh, going on a hike with our kids. And I got up to the archery range, had one lesson, was not good, but immediately felt a physical release in my body.
0: Oh, that's amazing.
2: And that was transforming for me. And so I kept going, kept going, kept taking all my friends. Because one thing I'm learning about myself is if I learn how to do something and it's impactful to me, then I wanna figure out how to teach other people because. So many things have stood in my way as far as like, how do you, how do you do that? How do you get access to that thing? If you don't have the money or if you don't know the person or whatever, and I want to take away the middle person and find a way to give people access. So I started taking all of my friends. One of my friends had just had a chosen family member take their own life. And, um, we were shooting together. I would bring her up. She wouldn't talk. We would just shoot. And one day, we were up there, and she looked at me, and she had her, um, she had her bow loaded. She's not a talk. She was not a talker. And I'm gonna swear. She said, "I am just so fucking angry." And she released the arrow, and it hit the target like a cartoon. And she looked at me, and she went that was so cathartic and I could feel it. I didn't, I wasn't holding her bow. I was standing next to her, but I could feel the reverberations of it. And I went home because I think in that moment, something that I had known worked for me and I thought probably would work for other people, but then I knew it worked. And I came home and I was talking to my husband who also knows how to do this journaling technique. And I told him the story. And I said, I think, we, I think I could manufacture a space, a container that could make that happen, that could be a safe or a brave space, whatever you want to call the space, where it would feel OK for that person to engage in that. And through the conversation, because I'm a verbal processor, we came up with the idea of using a very small piece of this Ira Procroft journaling. And that's how meditative archery was born. And I just was up there today with one of my clients who got it as a Christmas gift from her husband. And we did the journaling this morning and she was an expert shooter within 45 minutes. And watching somebody go from, that's the other thing that I didn't realize I was a teacher. But watching go from, somebody go from not knowing how to do something and be afraid to learn something and holding that kind of sacred space, which I believe that space, I believe all space is sacred, but when you're holding a space and reminding somebody, you've never done this before. Why, why do you think you should be an expert? I also think I should be an expert. So very familiar with that feeling to watching them totally own their bodies. And, and then also discover like, she looked at me and she's like, Oh, this feels so good. And I'm like, I know. <laughs> so I tr- I'm trying not just through archery, but creating spaces where people can feel empowered in their bodies and the whole of who they are. Mm-hmm. All of the gunk, all of the beauty, all of it is sacred. And so spaces where that is not only encouraged, but treasured is what what I'm after.
1: It's an amazing thing I mean what happens out there is truly it's magical it's magical and um and to watch um youth and all you know shapes and sizes and experiences all kind of have a similar healing empowerment thing happen and it just made me think as I was listening to you is that you know of course it's like holding space for other people and the joy and the um soul you know healing stuff that happens in you but like what's happened in you too through your own doing it and also seeing that happen in other people it's like always a both and at the same time
2: well I think um The biggest thing that's happened to me is I now can say I'm a good teacher. Which I never considered myself a teacher before. I mean, maybe I I was probably teaching. I've been in those kind of roles, but I didn't consider myself a teacher. I'm married to a teacher who's always known that he was a teacher. Um, But I'm good at it. And I think that's the thing is, as I do it, the more I do it, the more I can stand in it, the more it kind of resonates through my whole body. I had a funny incident the other day. Um, I was up there doing a meditative. I have two. I have mindful, a mindful one that's a little less intense, and then the meditative one that's detached to the journaling. And I was doing a meditative one. you know, so we had finished the journaling. we were shooting. Nobody had been up at the range. And then all of a sudden people were trickling in, which is irritating. Why do other half of people have to come work when I'm doing something? I want to be alone.
1: How uh, dare they?
2: <laughs> yeah. But there was an older guy that I'm familiar with and he was doing his own thing. And then this other, these two guys came and one was just doing his own thing. And then I think the guy was his dad or something, an older guy. We are probably on our third round. I'm You know, I'm teaching her. We're not talking to anybody else. And this old guy comes up to us. Did I ask him for feedback? No, I did not. (laughs) He comes up to us and he's like, well, it would be better if she anchored on the side of her nose. And I'm like, if you do archery, you know about anchoring, but it's it's a big part of the process. And I just looked at him. And I... I just stared, stared him down. And then I, neither of us said anything. And he walked away and sorry to your listeners, but sometimes I just fucking hate white guys. (laughs) No woman in the 13 years I have been shooting has come up to me and told me what I'm doing wrong. (laughs) No, never once. Not one woman. But many, many men have come up and told me. And in the past, in the beginning, I would have been like, how do I not poke the bear? How do I like get him to go away, but also not make it awkward for us? And I just embraced the awkward. And uh, he went away. And then we, we laughed about it. But um, I think that's it. Standing in the beginning, I used to have to say to myself and i probably sometime i don't know i'm not saying that this is gone for me but i used to on a regular basis when a lot of people would come up there and there's archery is full of a lot of white men and that is not across the board that they're all going to be jackasses but that is a pretty you know 90 percent guarantee that you'll get more than one jackass in that bunch And I used to have to stand there and be like, okay, in under my breath or in my body go, I will own my space. I will own my space because they are taking up all of the space. Just wandering around the range, spreading out, smoking cigarettes, talking, moving slow, (laughs) whatever they're doing on their cell phones. I don't have to do that anymore because I am owning my space. And, um, and I think that that's something that, that not only is translating to the core of who I am as somebody that grew up very disempowered Mm -hmm. to constantly remind myself of my power. And that's also the beauty of archery is whatever, you could have a physical weakness, You could have um, trauma that leaves you very out of your body. And to some degree, you have to own and and be empowered in your body. And you can't. So sometimes it can even trans, what's the word I'm looking for? Like bypass the, the physical limitations and even the the bodily limitations that may be caused are caused by trauma. It can bypass it to Mm -hmm. some degree, even maybe it's just in that moment. Like somebody that has never been in their body. I see it all the time because I get a lot of people that want to do it, that have traumatic pasts and presence. And in the beginning, it's very difficult for them to be in their bodies. And I'm not even talking about being in your body other than like, you got to stand a certain way. you got to release of you know string it's all kind of scary in the beginning but I've watched people be completely hunched over in the beginning and not be able to like open up and be strong which you kind of have to do to be at the end I'm like watching people completely straight and strong in their bodies Mm -hmm. and it's incredible you might leave and be you know go back to slumping But for a tiny bit of your day, you were empowered and strong in your body. And I think everybody needs that. Yeah. Everybody needs that.
0: Yeah. I think that's certainly what I experienced too, is just this sense of my body got in gear. Mm. It just kind of dropped into something. And even though I didn't have a lot of, arm strength or shoulder strength or whatever. um, Just taking the stance and aiming at something and releasing this power. It's hard to describe it until you experience it.
2: Yeah, that is very true. And then when you do, it's like, oh, I get it. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's. I don't know that it's really explainable in any kind of um, mental way because yeah. uh, it would just sort of ruin it anyway. And it's what I love about something you said right at the beginning, which was you something in you knew that you wanted to shoot about before you ever had the chance to do it, and. I think that's something that your soul speaks sometimes um, when you have these weird things. I mean, for me, it was uh, throwing pottery. Mm-hmm. I'd never done it, never thought about doing it, never really kind of wanted it. But it was a recurring idea that when I did it, I it just connected something for me. Mm -hmm. that I'll never be able to explain yeah Um, and uh I think that that's really the almost the mystery but the wisdom of who we are as human beings and what uh parts of us know that we don't know that we know
2: Mm -hmm. yeah oh for sure it's like um I mean, aren't you a youngian? Yeah,
0: well, I know some. <laughs> I'm I mean, a youngian hack, is what I am.
2: <laughs> from the beginning of my any recollection I have, if there is a woman doing battle, that is my that is. I mean, Joan of Arc. I've got a whole back piece of Joan of Arc on my back. It's a it's a reoccurring theme. Not just any warrior, though. It can't be. A, it can't be a cruel. It has to be somebody like Joan is working out the whole thing, and she's real, which is even more attractive. But I've always had that. I'm like, I don't want to kill anybody, but don't you dare try to take away my power. Which makes sense. Like I'm, you know, I grew up in a house where I had a role. To play, and my role was to be the servant, to be subservient, to do what I was told. You know, they wanted my emotions, but not too much. So mm-hmm. keep everything right. And I'm terrible at keeping things in check, as far as like, you know, being sensitive about other people and about things that are happening. So to gravitate towards somebody that, at least on the outside, is not gonna be told what to do and is gonna go after justice is very attractive to me. And then I'm realizing as I'm talking to you, I also liked, which totally makes sense as a queer identifying woman that discovered that in her early forties, because that doesn't fit into the church that I grew up in. Mm. I I also loved women that were disguising themselves as men. <laughs> Give me an androgynous person i from from my beginning, and I'm just now realizing that's funny too. It's like either a warrior woman or somebody that's fooling people, blending in but because I think that the 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 early people that I was attracted to that were doing that, you know like natty gann or i I don't know but some person some woman dressing like a man because then she was taken seriously. Mm -hmm. Also, she could do the things that they, that women should be allowed to do, but they weren't allowed to do. Mm -hmm. So I'll chew on that for a little while. Yeah.
0: Whatever it takes.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, plus Bowie and there's quite a few people. And I mean, at least when I was growing up in the eighties, that definitely, were they they were gender fluid at least how they were
0: mm-hmm.
2: performing and i loved that it's secretly because you can't love that out loud in the church right oh no no <laughs> yeah
1: it makes me think um, i mean this isn't a big part of our conversations and I, I i don't know if we called it this as an episode i know we talked about it for sure it's just sort of uh, this dreaming of a non binary world that just expanding the language and the experience and the possibility for all humans um, in a more significant way. That the boxes and the narrow and the rigid and the fundamentalist and the Christian systems that some of us came from, you know, all of it is so limiting and that so much more wholeness can come when we allow ourselves to embrace all of those parts and it just makes me think I mean knowing you um for all these years and just watching us all to be honest like we have all grown so fucking much yes we have and we've had a lot of really hard things and we've had a lot of really good things and but nothing has come easy like nothing's easy healing isn't like this whoo you know it's just it it is hard to do in the context that um, it's hard for everybody. And I think it's extra hard for those of us that came from a Christian context that just didn't honor it. You yeah. had to find something outside of it. And it just made me think because so many of us, you know, are um, have deconstructed so much um, of what we um, had for so long. And, and we're finding life on um, in a new place that is so beautiful and it's, it's not as disorienting as it used to be. It mm-hmm. it used to be like, we're, oh my gosh, this is so hard. Now it's like, oh my gosh, you know, it's, there's so many amazing things about it. And it does, it's not to dismiss the disorientation part because it's part of it. And sometimes, you know, of course it's still a little weird because when non-binary is more complicated than, you um, been clear things but it does make me wonder for you like in your story you know you were a pastor you were a missionary you were like an international missionary and you know and look at look at your trajectory and what's happened and your story and what parts are continue to heal in you and so I just love to hear just a little bit more about that like how life is better Mm. how life is is better as you really stepped into your truth Instead yeah. of trying to conform to a system that just never got you, never got you.
2: Yeah. That's an interesting question. I think um, one of the biggies for me is realizing that I have always been this person. Mm-hmm. Like I, but I was, and I'm sure this is true for most people, but I was always shutting this person down. Because you know the God that I was given, the Creator that I was given, did not um, just so backwards. It's like you can create the universe if if you believe that, but you can't you can't deal with uh, non binary thinking. Okay, that's <laughs> that seems very limiting for you. Um, you know, constantly hiding my gay friends or figuring out, can I have gay friends? How does this work? You know, because this is the 80s. I know we're not, sometimes when I tell my children the things that I had to secretly do or hide from my parents, they're like, well, why would you do that? Well, some of it is, yes, was protecting myself, but some of it also was protecting my friends. Mm -hmm. Um, Or at least I thought it was. So, realizing that this is the person I was born and I have just been coming back home this whole time. So this is the person I was born and I've just been coming back home the whole time. And I think that that has made the embracing of myself easier and all the the thinking and I agree, Kathy. It's it's tricky to the non-binary thinking is tricky, but I think much like deconstruction, the beginning is so painful. You know the loss, and for some, way more than I I had to experience. Yeah. Um. But that thinking is actually, you know, you. I'm going to be de- deconstructing not just my faith but everything for the rest of my life. That's what life is is deconstructing stuff. Some of it will be reconstructed, some of it never will be, some of it will just be thrown out or reimagined or whatever. And I think you do get to a place in deconstruction where it gets a little less pokey all the time. <laughs> you know, or maybe I'm not you know, like salt over my shoulder. I'm not saying a secret prayer, hoping that I, you know, didn't offend God or somebody else anymore. Um, And that's similar with like embracing uh, non-binary because really what is creativity? It is Mm non-binary. Most artists are not going, look at my art. Here's what it means. They're saying, look at my art and what does it mean to you? What is, what is in it? What do you see? And that is non-binary. That can be whatever that person wants. And I think that's where the freedom is. And I think you talk about it a lot, Kathy. It's a paradox. It's staying in that middle place, that tender place. And so even part of my life, which was, um, it did include, uh, sometimes I'm embarrassed to say it aloud, but seven years as a missionary overseas Um, I have a few creds in that I did not lead anybody to the Lord that I know of (laughs) because I am not good at sealing the deal (laughs) so but I did a lot of amazing things and I, you know, I was in Amsterdam, probably one of the most liberal cities in the world. And that was my first foray into non-binary life experience or queer experience that I didn't even know was happening to me. Christians that swore and Christians that drank and Christians that had sex with people, (laughs) you know, like, (laughs) what is happening, you know? Whether they were honest about it or not. It was just a different, like, you're in a place where there are so many different people from all over the world. Nobody probably would have called themselves liberal, but compared to my growing up, it was very liberal. Mm-hmm. So that opened a door to, to be more honest inside myself. You know, that opened a door to having conversations with friends at the time that were trying to come out. And I wasn't at a place where I was open-minded enough to realize that that was okay. And, um, you know, just so many different, so many different experiences and all of them, all of those experiences have led to where I'm at now. And I have been lucky to have mostly good experiences. My, my, I think my childhood experiences were so negative in the church that most of my experiences after that got better, mm. which I think for a lot of people is rare. Because I went away, because I moved away to another state, it was a different kind of Christianity, still very religious and restrictive, but different than mine. So difference sometimes is a little bit better, not always. And then YWAM, Youth with a Mission, because I went away to a different country, it was way more liberal. I didn't even know you could swear, you know, or drink. I thought that was straight to hell. But um, I think all of those experiences opened up, you know, going to the bridge. Being in the United States, I never wanted to live back in this country. And then meeting a lot of people, that's how I met Kathy. Like meeting people on the fringes that were giving God one last chance was also part of the arrival to where I'm at now. And I won't be here in a year. Mm -hmm. You know, the more, for me, the the more work I do on myself, the more work i do in therapy i won't be i won't be where i am and i'm i'm that is exciting that's an exciting thing about life is i won't be where i am hopefully it won't be as painful most of the time cuz it's still painful because i think change is change can be painful but then also people make other people make change more painful than it
0: needs to be. I think that uh, one of the most profound things is uh, how difficult it is, but how freeing it is to just be who we already are. (laughs) And how, you know, so much of the healing journey, so much of our struggles can just be that. And uh, I think it's ironic that it should be so hard and that we're struggling so hard against systems that want anything but us being who we are and as we can so I think as you um, keep doing what you're doing uh, with the archery thing um what does your future look like real quick since we're kind of wrapping up here
2: um well I do a lot of archery through, you know, my, my own website, I do a lot of spiritual direction, mainly with people in deconstruction, but not across the board, Mm because I understand it, I'm experiencing it, I'm living it. I do archery through Airbnb. So I see people that just want to learn like mindfulness 101 and attach it Mm -hmm. to archery, because I'm not interested in just teaching people archery. That's, To me, that's not interesting. I want to have some mind, body, somatic healing. I think to do more of that and to do it in more places, um, I'd like to get, and I don't know how this will play out, but I've been trying to find ways to get to more rural communities, which you would think would have more access to archery, but I grew up in a rural community and didn't. Mm -hmm. And to make it more affordable, um, to LGBTQAI plus and BIPOC communities. Um, that's, I want to see more people, queer people, trans people doing archery.
0: Great. You're kind of a have, bow, will travel.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: Absolutely.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Oh, it
1: just makes me think that, um, The slow, beautiful, long story of just showing up and listening to what we already knew that got covered up in the rubble of family systems and life and church and all kinds of other things um, is so worth doing and that we need each other for it. So like on our own, it just doesn't it just, we need each other. We don't need a ton of people, but we need some people mm-hmm. and um, to just get us and to get the struggle and to get the joy and the hope of um, becoming more and more free. And so a piece of this, um, our soul practice idea is really just like, Our soul and practice is all tied together, which is like exactly meditative archery. I mean, in the deepest way. And so, just one as we wrap up, just one last little, like something, just to people listening, like remember this about your soul, and then maybe one little small practice that helps Mm -hmm. you or could help others. Just kind of keep on, keep it on.
2: Well, one of the things that I always said to my kids when they were leaving for school is remember who you are. And I'd have to sometimes grab him by the face and go, not who other people think you are, remember who you are. So that, and then a mantra that I always say on my podcast and a mantra that I constantly say to myself, you are worth knowing, you are worth loving, you are worth being in this world, you are worth knowing you are worth loving, you are worth being in this world. Whatever other people say, who cares? Inside of you, that truth remains, even if you're a total jerk, you are still worth loving. And then I think for me, what I'm finding, you know, in my mind, I'm like, say, get out into nature and Yes, if you can, get out into nature. But one of the things that is holding me right now is just breathing. And I think when I say that out loud, I think it sounds stupid. But the stress and the anxiety and the constant barrage that we're facing right now, especially as um, anybody that has female parts, Mm -hmm. That's just, we're we're under, we're under attack is just to breathe. So when I'm saying I'm breathing, I usually close my eyes, take a deep breath in and then feel my shoulders relax. And I do that until I can feel my shoulders relax. And the thing that I like about breath is um, for me right now, is it's something that I can do before I go to bed in my car I can look dead in your face and breathe and you can't stop me and you don't know what I'm necessarily, what I'm doing. And there are other things that I like too, but that's a really good pocket one. And it's actually something that I'm using right now is there's a lot of things going on and I need a quick, a quick centering thing that I can grab onto and breath Mm -hmm. is something that usually quickly goes away from us rather than something
0: that
1: we grab onto. Yeah. Mm. So good. It makes me think of like those two things, what drinking water and breathing. Yeah. I yeah. like two really basic things that we just don't do. Um, giant but, uh, water bottle that's <laughs> it really it really helped. Um Phyllis last thought for the soul.
0: Um yeah, you know, it's it was a profound realization to me to consider that my soul and my body are in cahoots Mm. they are resonating and it's my head my ego whatever that seems to be off the map most of the time so um just remember that if you have something in your body that's speaking to you might also be your soul
2: yeah
1: I love it. On the practice side, I'm just going to add one related to um, practicing and that it's like, just do it. Whatever it is (laughs) that moving your body in some way to just do it and try not to evaluate it. If there's anything like about archery that I know it's like getting on our head all the time. got to shoot the target. Got to like, look this way. Just like just do it. And how we grow in our capacity to heal is through practice. So like, if there is something, a way to move your body and move energy through your body without evaluating it, like I didn't walk that far. I didn't walk that fast. Oh, this hurt. Like just taking out the evaluations and just doing it. That was what came to mind as I was listening to you talk. That works. Um, so we love you. There's 10,000 other things to talk about. Um, yes. But we are glad that you could be with us today. And anyone can look up Angie's work at angiefatal.com and find ways to follow on social media and then think about bringing her to where you are, no matter where you are. And I'd I'm love to. See trouble yes asbo will travel and um and then um, Angie will be here in the Denver area for a weekend our annual archery weekend where there's a ton of workshops and different things all weekend long and that is the second week of october so look look on some of our staff to find more information on that and um, consider coming and playing with us for sure then and in Portland anytime um so great to be with you all um let's keep hacking at it together Thank you. And thanks for listening. Thanks for playing with us, Angie.
2: Thank you. Bye, everybody. Bye.
0: Kathy Escobar and Phyllis Mathis write, speak, pastor, and counsel, and are dedicated to creating spaces that foster healing and change. You can learn more at kathyescobar.com and phyllismathis.com. Keep listening to your soul and keep practicing.